You're listening to American Girl Women with Laura Treader and Lindsay Adams-Franca. This is a podcast where two millennial gals gather around the microphone and reminisce on the cultural phenomenon that took our childhood by storm, American Girl Dolls. Contrary to what you might think, we aren't just talking about dolls here. We're diving into the high highs and the low lows of getting hooked on American Girl and all the childhood memories that come flooding back. So join us and a few special guests each week as we become American Girl Women. Today on American Girl Women, we are joined by Mary Catherine Tuckwiller, an attorney, mother, and business owner based in Virginia. Growing up, Mary Catherine developed a love for literature and was an avid swimmer, danced ballet, took piano lessons, and of course, had a love for American Girl. Mary Catherine is joining us today with a very unique AG story as she was lucky enough to attend the Felicity launch event in 1991 at Colonial Williamsburg, complete with a tea lesson from Miss Manderley, a Q&A sesh with the one and only Valerie Tripp, and had a chance encounter with the woman and the reason why we're all here today. Yep, Mary Catherine met Pleasant Roland. But let's hear it from her. Mary Catherine, welcome to AGW. Thank you. I am beyond excited to be here. And we are so excited to have you. The anecdotes that, you know, I think we're going to share with our listeners today are really special and unique. And I'm so excited that we get to have someone who's had as many of these in-person American Girl experiences as you've had. So we're just so excited to get into it. Awesome. Definitely. I think it's such a cool thing about this AG journey is hearing from people who have had such varied experiences with the brand. Like we were talking before we started recording about some of our guests didn't have any American Girl dolls. Some had the full collection. We've had guests on here who modeled for American Girl, some who have walked in the American Girl fashion show and experiences from so many different places and interactions. And Mary Catherine, for you to join us today, having been to the Felicity launch event for the doll and meeting Pleasant and Valerie Tripp is just like, Ah, so thank you so, so much for joining us to record. I'm sure our listeners tuning in right now are going to be so excited to hear from you. It's been fun for me getting ready and reliving the memories and thinking about it. It has been a while. Yeah. (laughs) Right. It's like funny how you could like not really think about something for so many years and have it all come flooding back to you. But before we get into American Girl, would you be able to tell us what you were like growing up? It's funny that you ask this because I have just been spending some time with my parents over the holidays. And I said, I think they might ask me this question. What was I like? And everyone agreed that I was precocious and over the top. Uh, The amusing (laughs) anecdote I like to say is that I appointed myself president of my family, which is very (gasps) non democratic, (laughs) but I held family meetings and had everyone wear visors and practice their parts. And I went as a CEO for career day. So I was full of myself. Um, and I was into everything and was mediocre at all of it. I was a child who tried everything and could just barely get by doing it. I did a lot of plays and musicals and loved water sports and watching my family play music. Wow. Wait, what was your role as president of the family like? So I was also into the babysitters club, which shockingly throughout the podcast, I haven't really heard anybody else talk about, which I thought was a bit unique, but they had officers. And I think I admired Christy Thomas, the president. So I decided that I needed to have that leadership role. And I planned field trips for our family and had everyone (gasps) vote on where we would go (laughs) and had menu night and assigned different people to make meals and my very generous family let me get away with it for a lot longer than they should have. You know, I respect it. It's like, you were like, here's a structure that works and I'm going to apply it to, you know, my family, because this is something that was successful for the babysitters club. So why can't it work for us? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. I love this. And actually that's a good point. We really haven't touched upon the babysitters club on the podcast from what I remember, but that was such like an important book series for myself. Laura, were you into it as well? 
Yes. I didn't read like every single book, but even when, you know, I was a kid being that there's different age gaps between all of us, that book series was still, you know, in my school library and people were still interested in it um, when I was in school. So I think, you know, it just is something that regardless of your age, kind of like AG, you you sort of like relate to and find things to to pick out of it. So definitely loved those books. Honestly, it would be a fun little book club to revisit those. I appreciated that it was a series. It certainly did not have the historic weight or <laughs> the associative opportunities that AG had, but if there's such a thing as light reading for eight-year-olds, that filled that gap for me. Right. It was sort of like a Colleen Hoover for young, young adults or children um, of this time period. Yeah, I can, I can respect a little light read, but you're right. It's like definitely not quite the, the historical impact lesson learning that we were all getting from the AG books for sure. Definitely. I loved the Babysitter's Club so much. I actually found one of my books and I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast, but um, I was home over the summer and I found a Babysitter's Club book in my parents' attic where they used to have prompts that you would fill out at the back of the books where it was kind of like a diary. Like you fill in like what you would do in like different scenarios. And I believe it was a book about Marianne saving the day. Like one of the kids that she had to babysit went to the hospital and in the back of the book, you had to fill out like what you would do if you were in this scenario. And like, as a completely like ill-equipped, like fourth grader, fifth grader, like looking at this, reading this book, my response was what I would do if I was babysitting and a kid got injured. I wrote, I'd be scared. (laughs) So (laughs) and like my answers to everything were just like, oh God, just like a year later, I would be babysitting kids. I was too young to babysit. And I babysat like all through junior high and I had no no experience. Like if something went wrong, I would be scared. I wouldn't know what to do. In spite of reading the books, I did not babysit growing up (laughs) and had to wing it as a parent. (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean, I did babysit a bit as a kid. I had a lot of younger cousins and I'll still be winging it as a parent because I was actually recently talking to one of my cousins who I've babysat for and It's so crazy, like, what passed for, like, qualifying to babysit kids, like, back in the day versus now. Like, just leaving me alone with, like, a six-month-old and a two-year-old. I was actually older at the time. I was, like, 19, and I was still, like, oh, my God, I have no idea (laughs) what I would do if something went wrong here. I would just, like, call 911. Um, But it's, it's so funny because babysitting is one of those things that I feel like because of books like The Babysitter's Club or, like, TV shows, like, it was portrayed as being something you should want to do as a young teen girl, like, or it was portrayed as, like, one of the best ways to be making money as a girl, like, and it's just so much less glamorous than what it's made out to be. Seriously, and it's, like, parents are, like, entrusting you with their most precious thing in life, and it's kind of crazy that they would put so much faith in, like, a seventh grader. Like I remember babysitting pretty much every weekend. And when like the kids would go to bed, I'd be in like these homes at night and being scared, scared of being like alone in a house. I would just be like waiting for the moment the parents would walk in so I could go home. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, if any of the kids I babysat for had had American girl dolls, that would have actually piqued my interest significantly, but getting into the American Girl dolls of it all, what is your earliest memory with American Girl? And do you remember how you were sort of introduced into that world? I can't tell you specifically my earliest memory, but I know that my childhood friend, Emily, who later became my next door neighbor and features prominently in my American Girl journey, had Kirsten by the time we were in second grade, because her mom could sew and we were watching The Little Mermaid and she made an aerial costume for Ooh. Kirsten. And then I remember that there was a catalog 
at Emily's house. And I must have talked about it enough because then there was a catalog at our house. And I started studying and knew that I wanted to get a doll. And while my parents probably would have gotten one for me for Christmas or my birthday, I got it in my head that I wanted to save up to buy a doll. So my first exposure was through Emily and then deciding I needed this doll in second grade. Wow. And what doll caught your attention? Samantha. I was obsessed at the time. Only Kirsten, Samantha, and Molly were available. Samantha had the most fantastic fashion and accessories, and she was frilly and girly. And it wasn't that I was necessarily against the other eras, but Molly seemed too recent in time. And Emily already had Kirsten. So somebody in the playgroup had that covered. And my great grandmother was born in 1897 and she was living at the time. And so she would have essentially been a peer of Samantha. And I thought it would be really cool to have this doll that had her experiences and be able to talk about that time period with her. She was not an orphan living in New York, but she lived through some of the voting rights activities and the movement for women to have opportunities and some of the lack of technology. You know, she probably made her ice cream in the mud in the ground too. So I was excited to have that connection. Wow. That's incredible. I don't think we've heard that before or even really considered the fact that like someone could have a great grandparent that lived in the time period of Samantha that was alive. And that's so interesting. Yeah, that's really cool. We've definitely heard a few people say that, you know, their grandmothers got them Molly because a lot of our grandparents like lived through the Great Depression and World War II. But I think that connection to Samantha is really special. And I think also it is just far enough away in time where it does feel like you're really digging into something historical, but also recent, recent enough in time where you can understand her circumstances and story, I think more easily than perhaps some of the the earlier dolls. Mm -hmm. So I love that. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And I totally could see being drawn to Samantha immediately. I recently purchased a catalog on eBay that only has the three dolls. So it has Kirsten, Samantha, and Molly. And Samantha just stands out as so opulent and beautiful. Her collection is just perfect. That's a fantastic word for it. And on the back of those early catalogs, there were typically pictures of porcelain dolls and a snippet by Pleasant about playing in the attic and having this opportunity for a doll with essentially substance. And I remember I had maybe a fragile porcelain doll that I couldn't do anything with. And I was so excited about the weight and heft Those certainly weren't the words I used back then, but of the American (laughs) girl dolls, because you could take them with you and they weren't so fragile that you had to worry that you were going to shatter them. And then you had these costumes that were historical in nature. And I think I wanted to be Samantha and dress like her and make my bedroom like her and live that frilly pink and white dream. (laughs) Right. Oh my God. Truly. So you're saving up, uh, for Samantha. Do you remember like when you obtained all of the money needed for her and what that was like? I do. So I don't know how I got to the pinnacle of, I was ready to order because I am so attuned to dates. I know that I got her in March of 1990 and that's not right after Christmas or right after a birthday where I would have reached a pinnacle saving opportunity, but the dolls were $82 at that point. And I remember I had gotten to $76 and needed to get just a few more. And I think I've mentioned I'm at the older end of the American girl fans. So this is when you had the sheet inside the catalog where you would write down which doll you wanted to order and send it away. And my story with Samantha in this regard is that 
we had a post office box. We did not get mail at our home. And so if we wanted actual shipments, we sent them to my dad's work. And I ordered Samantha and there was no such thing as online tracking. And I called his office every day for about (laughs) seven days to ask if the doll had arrived. And the poor person who had to entertain my phone call finally said, I will call you when this doll gets here. And she arrived on a Thursday. And I remember I sent my dad back to the office to go unlock it and get this doll and bring it home. And I unveiled her in her beautiful maroon box and was ready to go. And it was actually March 15th because that Saturday was St. Patrick's Day. And I remember being devastated that the only outfit I had for her did not have any green in it. And she was going to have an inappropriate celebration. And I didn't know what I would do for her (laughs) (laughs) because she was real. That is incredible. I love that you can remember the date and also how you felt, you know, leading up to actually receiving her, because I feel like that anticipation of joy that we felt as kids is something like very rarely felt in the same way today and like I think that you know I can relate because I I didn't save up for one of my American Girl dolls but I did however have to perform certain behaviors in order to earn her and that behavior was eating lunch at my like after school daycare because I was in uh, kindergarten at the time. And so I was only there for a half day. And they were like, if you eat your lunch every day, because I notoriously was picky and I wouldn't do it after like X amount of months, like you'll get an American Girl doll. So like the knowing that I had like ownership over the idea of deciding my fate and like the same way of like saving money can sort of like decide that you're going to get this doll. And then the anticipation of leading up to it is is so exciting. And I think like also really good and productive for like kids to have the experience of going through. Well, and for something like that compared to, I don't know, the price of a Barbie or a cabbage patch or something, it was a significant investment. And I think it made me treat her with more reverence or dignity. And that might have informed my perspective in essentially considering her such a valid, vital, almost real part of my childhood existence and carting her along everywhere with me, but with a safekeeping spirit the entire time. Yeah, definitely. That makes so much sense. Taking the time to earn uh, enough money to save up for her really puts the value of the doll into perspective. That's amazing that you saved up for her. I think that makes it even more special. Yes. Now, uh, Samantha wasn't the only doll in your collection. You acquired another doll uh, in your American Girl journey, but maybe we should talk a little bit about what the circumstances that inspired your next doll were, because I think the backstory is pretty special. So my second doll, which at the time having two American Girl dolls was huge because that was 50% of the collection was Felicity. (laughs) And I got her for Christmas in 1991, the year that she debuted. But that is following, as you have insinuated, my fantastic journey to Colonial Williamsburg for Felicity's Elegant Tea Party the summer of 1991 in August. And I went with my mom and Emily, who I mentioned before, and her mom. So I would love to tell you about that and how those memories are some of my favorite ones from childhood. Yes. And just for a little context for our listeners who might not be familiar, Colonial Williamsburg is a living history museum in Williamsburg, Virginia. I looked it up earlier. It is a 300 acre historic area with colonial structures, basically representing a historic colonial city with employees that are fully dressed as though they are in the 18th century. And yeah, we're very excited to hear more about Felicity's Elegant Tea Party, which Pleasant Company hosted at Colonial Williamsburg for the launch. Now, my first question has to be before we get into the launch itself, 
how did you find out about this event? And was this something that, you know, you conspired with your friend to take this trip? Or was it something your mom read about first and brought to your attention? How did it all come together? Emily's grandparents lived in the backyard of Colonial Williamsburg. Essentially, if you walked through their backyard, you were in Colonial Williamsburg. So she grew up going there. I had not been at that point, but was interested in history. And I asked my mom this weekend and she confirmed that Emily's grandmother heard about this tea party and knew that we were into American girls. And so she helped get us registered. And as I understand it, they initially had only planned to have one day. And there were going to be 300 or so tickets sold, tickets for the girls and their parents. And there ended up being something like a 5,000 person wait list. And they ended up having multiple weekends and multiple days. I do not know at which point we got the tickets, but we were in the first weekend on the second day. So I tend to believe we were in that first batch of the intended performance. Oh my goodness. Coachella vibes. Like they needed multiple weekends. (laughs) I I do not know how the tickets were acquired. I presume by phone, there certainly was not the internet then. And perhaps the grandmother went to the Williamsburg Inn and physically retrieved them, but we made it there and it was magical. Wow. I can't wait to tell you everything I remember. Yeah, well, let's get into it. Perhaps you could paint the scene for us a bit and provide a bit of a visual for those listening in. You are in this historical setting at Colonial Williamsburg, right? What were you wearing to this? Like, was everyone dressed in historical outfits, like, to get into Colonial Williamsburg? (laughs) Not historical outfits, but I'll say this. When you arrived, you checked in not necessarily staying at the hotel, but to get your Mm -hmm. welcome package. And it had a box with Felicity regalia in it. I think I've sent you a few pictures on Instagram of some of the things you received. And I found some of it at my parents' house. And an anecdote is there was to be no photography, no recording, but I do have a couple of pictures from the day. And several of the girls had on outfits from the catalog, the girl like me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a few had replica dresses that someone you could tell had sewn for them. And I wore what I would call my fanciest floral dress with very poofy princess Diana sleeves. And Samantha wore her birthday dress with her pink and white stripes and pinafore. And she had been down the street to the college girl's house to have her hair French braided into <laughs> two braids with little pink bows so that she was ready wow. for the event as well. Fancy. Were all the girls bringing their dolls to the tea party? I think everyone who had a doll brought mm-hmm. their doll and most of us held them on our laps because this is pre American girl store. So there weren't attendant high chairs or anything like that, <laughs> but yes. And one of my anecdotes is that, you know, we took our dolls with us everywhere around Colonial Williamsburg when we toured the historical sites and our mothers made us tell everyone that we were in town to visit the Merrimans and would not let us say that we were there for Felicity's tea party. <laughs> we had to pretend we were fresh out of wow. 1776 participating in the life and culture there. Oh my goodness. That is we wore, so sweet. We wore Felicity bonnets that came with our welcome kits and marched around like wow. happy history scholars. Yeah. I so love the you, commitment level. That's amazing. We were seriously in. playing the part. So were you like walking around the villages and then going to the Pleasant Company event? Was that kind of the structure of it? You could self-direct around Colonial Williamsburg and Emily and her family had passes because of the frequency of their visits there. And so we were able to see real blacksmithing and real coppersmithing. I believe there was someone who manufactured 1770s pharmaceutical products. And we watched this pottery 
taking tours of what kitchens would look like. So we had quite the journey around Colonial Williamsburg. And then there was this finite period of time on the Saturday that we reported to the tea party at the Williamsburg Inn. And that was the day where we began with the tea party, which we'll discuss. And then we got to meet Valerie Tripp, who wrote the books. And then we had the fortuitous and clearly unanticipated opportunity to meet Pleasant. Wow. Oh my gosh. Now for the, for the tea party, you know, before you got to that like pinnacle moment of meeting those two AG celebrities, what was the atmosphere like at the tea party? Like, did it feel very formal? Sure. And I just want to say that I just realized I'm calling her pleasant as if I know her and I'm allowed to. (laughs) We need to be far more respectful um, of of the queen. I was in her presence, but (laughs) yes, it was very formal. And so we had tickets and somehow arranged seating and there were eight people at a table. And I remember that because there were the four of us And then there were two other sisters and their mom and grandmother, and we didn't know them, but we sat at the table with them and it was very formal. We were to greet one another using our best manners. They did this play that was essentially Felicity learns a lesson up on stage in front of us. And they debuted some of the outfits in the play. And Miss Nannerly was there teaching us how to have appropriate manners for tea. And then they served a raspberry tea and we had almost crumpets. And I'm thinking now, oh, the irony of tea and what we worked up to with history (laughs) going forward. But we were to serve one another tea and practice our manners and pouring and walking around. And then we had to learn how to curtsy and we practiced that with everyone in the room. Wow. And how many people were attending this session? I tried to think about that. It was a ballroom and it was set up with these round tables, perhaps 200 to 300 per session. I'm sure we could research that and find it. It was a large group. And I also remember that there were women wearing book boards that said, meet Felicity walking around the hotel, directing people to the event. And we waited in a line to get into this room that had tiered seating because there was a stage up front for them to act on. And yeah. then we were in this room, watching that, taking it in. And like I said, we didn't know the other family that we sat with. They were from Wisconsin and they had actual American girl outfits and we were quite envious. Wow. They're from Wisconsin. So people were really traveling near and far to this. Yes. We, I remember riding a bus with a family from Alabama. There were really a wide variety. And I did a little research online and it said, I believe 49 states except North Dakota were ultimately represented at this event. Evidently it was quite well attended. And as you all have reflected before, and as I think probably had a lot to do with the reach of the company. And so it was a fun time with a lot of the anticipation, because for those of us who joined the company or started with it, when it began, there were only ever three dolls. So to debut a new doll was huge. Yeah, And that was really going to drive the collection in a whole new way. And to build that anticipation was brilliant marketing on their part, because then you had all of these girls who traveled to the tea party who would clearly be wanting Felicity for the next upcoming life event. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so Lindsay is the director of PR for the brand that we work for. And I find this to be not unlike a lot of the events that you put together, Lindsay, (laughs) that are very like experiential for products, like making people like feel and be present in a very specific vibe of what they're trying to evoke with the product. So to me, it's like, it's brilliant strategy and it's obviously something that still happens today. So it's fascinating to me how effective they were for the time, because not only 
did they lack any online marketing, but they were a catalog mail company. And it's not as if there was an associated television show or some other mechanism. And then you had to get young girls on board to convince their parents who had the economic capacity to purchase these things to buy in as well. And it's pure brilliance. I fully, fully agree with that. That's such an interesting point. And, you know, I definitely want to do some research and to see if, you know, this was promoted in the catalog. We have talked about the Stagnon Piper Toys and Collectibles Museum that has digital exhibit going on for American Girl catalogs, which has been such a great resource um, to view. And I wonder if this event was advertised in any way, because I I don't recall it. Yeah, being like advertised. I, I haven't seen it either in any of the in the catalogs that I've seen. So I wonder if they did like a separate mailing to their audience. But I feel like that would be hard, right? Because like there are limited spaces for this. And I feel like there isn't, you know, a case study prior to it. So sending it out to their full mailing list would be quite the uh potential move. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like sending it out to like even half a million households and everyone descending on a city of, I'm not sure what proportions, but I don't know what like the hotel infrastructure is there, but accommodating all of the guests and the sessions, I guess that's why they had to amp up the amount of weekends that they were hosting this, but I'm continuously blown away and impressed by pleasant companies marketing. And what I don't know is at what point they decided to expand it and hold more weekends. I located a newspaper article talking about the need to do that, but I don't have a recollection of it being in the catalog proper. And I know a number of our friends also received the catalog. And I know we listen and talk about, well, what did you love best in the catalog? What did you want? We were students of the catalog. We all looked and were circling things and picking out items that we wanted. And I feel like there was a precursor hint that Felicity was coming, but I also feel like our peer group was very surprised when we started talking about this field trip to Williamsburg. It wasn't something that they also knew about. And maybe our awareness was truly from the local information. Could be. I mean, that would make sense if they, you know, were trying not to scale it too, too much. I feel like that checks out. Um, But, you know, I'm wondering if since you got the benefit of being there for weekend one, if there are things that perhaps weren't present at weekend two, like did Pleasant and Valerie attend every session of this? Right. That I am not sure. And I had that thought as well. I will say that Pleasant, again, here we are calling her by our first name, spoke (laughs) on stage during the tea party. And then everyone dispersed from that room to go to an auditorium to have her talk to Valerie Tripp. Wow. Gave a speech about writing, getting ideas, what she was like as a young person. And we each got a card that we filled out as we walked in. And then they would draw the cards on stage to ask her questions. And so I believe that there was a question and answer offered at the majority of the sessions, but I don't know if she took up a summer residence there or not. True. I mean, there was plenty of stuff going on, even if they weren't included in every single session, but I I definitely would feel like I would be missing out if I didn't get the full Pleasant Valerie Q&A panel experience. Absolutely. And Valerie's writing style and the fact that she had written other books and had written some of the Samantha books was particularly noteworthy for me because I was a fan already of her as the writer and thought it was really interesting how she was going to study and learn about the history of colonial Williamsburg to incorporate it with this new character. And I grew up in Virginia and in Virginia, you learned Virginia history in fourth grade. So I was getting ready to go into fourth grade. I was going to be learning about colonial Williamsburg. So this was the perfect kickoff for that. And ultimately when I got Felicity, she came to school with me for that lesson. (laughs) Wow. This is really coming full circle here. (laughs) So attending the Q&A session with Pleasant and Valerie just seems like something of dreams, really. Do you remember what 
else they were talking about? Yes. So as I mentioned, we each got to fill out a card as we walked in and it was almost as if they were inserted into a fishbowl. And then they drew a few out to answer. And some of the questions were very deep and as esoteric as they get for eight to 10 year old girls. Yeah. With inspiration and whether the characters were based on any tendencies they had as children or whether Pleasant gave any direction to have certain consistent traits throughout the dolls because we know we have the learns a lesson, has a birthday, saves the day type movements. And then there were far more lighthearted and non-substantive questions. Mine was not asked, but I would classify my question as certainly non-substantive to the world of AG, but perfectly curious for a young girl to ask. And what was that question? I needed to know what Samantha's middle name was. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's totally valid. One of the things that we always get really hung up with on this podcast is if, you know, people gave their girl of today or bitty babies names. And I think it's because names were like very, I, I don't know. I was very into names as a kid, like fancy names, making up baby names, whatever. So of course we want to know Samantha's middle name. Yeah. If you tell me that Samantha Parkington did not monogram things, I would be shocked. (laughs) So she clearly had a middle name. And this from a woman who gave her children, you know, me multiple middle names because I wasn't done naming things I wanted to know. And according to some fandom, she may have the middle name Mary, which would line up with Grand Mary. But I don't believe that the actual six books reveal that. So I would be curious if anybody else can vouch for that. Oh, interesting. I don't remember reading that her middle name was Mary either, but I know they had a lot of different books coming after like the six original. There are like Samantha mystery series. There's like a book where Nellie is on the Titanic. Things that you would think are fan fiction, but they are put out by American girls. So maybe it's mentioned there. Maybe it's in like the Be Forever series of it all. But that is so, so interesting. And yeah, like we talk about names a lot on the podcast. And I think American Girl definitely like poke that interest into a lot of us. Like I'm looking back at a book that I had called Pages and Pockets, which American Girl put out in the mid nineties. And it was kind of like a diary of sorts where not unlike the babysitter's club, where you're filling out your perspective on different scenarios. It was kind of like a little mini time capsule of your favorite TV shows and uh, about your family and all of these different prompts to write in. And there was a section for favorite baby names. So AG was definitely onto this. And even with like the girl of today, like you could write the little books um, that it came with. Like they had like blank books for you to fill out and you had to name your doll. So I think this question is like, totally in line with everything that like American Girl formed us into, which I love. I wish that your question was called out and you could hear it from the source directly. Uh, but you know, it's also good to chat about it. My <laughs> first name is, podcast. is Mary, but I would have expected Samantha to have a much more flowery middle name because Samantha Parkington just rolls and is far more elegant. And I wouldn't think she'd have something as short and curt as Mary. I would have thought that perhaps she would have her mother's first name as her middle name, like Samantha Lydia Parkington really rolls off the tongue or that like, does I, seem more yeah. like, or like even because her family was bougie, like making the last name, her like mother's maiden name, like Samantha Edwards Parkington, something like that. Definitely. (laughs) I love that. So you went to the tea party and then you just wrapped up the Q and a session. What comes next? Like, were there any ops for you to purchase Felicity or anything from her collection? So We each received a signed copy of Meet Felicity that was part of our welcome packet. And so it was not as if there was a photo opportunity or a handshake with Valerie Tripp, but we did have this opportunity. And then we all proceeded to a large room where the 
dolls were on display, including multiple Felicities in each of the outfits that were going to debut. And at that point, they had only made the outfits through Christmas. So they had her meet Felicity outfit. They had her Felicity school outfit, which if you remember, was the one that had the corseted tied top and the red skirt. And then they had the beautiful blue dress with the two different panels that you could put in. So I believe they had Felicity in both iterations. And then they had the outfits for the girls tacked to the wall behind these lattice fences so that you could see but not touch them. And they also had her nightgown. And so we lusted after those. Perhaps there was an opportunity to order the doll while you were there for anticipated production. I don't know. I know Emily and I both ended up with Felicity that year for Christmas when she came out, but I'm not sure how the orders took place. And then that was the precursor to our unplanned, unscheduled, very fortuitous meeting with Pleasant in a hallway. Wow. Wow. How did that come to be? I was in the right place at the right time. There was absolutely no indication that we would run into her. We had been milling about the costume room, looking at these dresses and we were getting ready to walk somewhere. And I've sent you the picture, which hopefully will get posted, but there were a gaggle of seven or eight girls just sort of in this hallway. And all of the sudden you heard a gasp and we looked and here she was. Wow. Obviously, this is before cell phones or digital cameras. And one of the moms said, could we please get a picture with you? And since no photographs were allowed in the center room where the presentation was going on, not everyone had a camera with them. Evidently, my mom did since I have this picture. But I remember her saying, I don't ordinarily stop for pictures at this event because I don't want some girls to have the picture and leave with one and others not get to have that experience. A very equitable and almost expected answer from someone who had taught and worked around children. You know, right. if I'm putting on this experience, I don't want someone to say they got more than someone else. I'm here sure. to give the universal American girl, but she said, but I will be glad to do that for you. And then she said, did you all have fun? Which dolls do you have? Are you looking forward to getting new dolls? And we all nodded our heads and said, we wanted Felicity. And then she said, we could line up with her and take the picture. And I remember there was one girl who was so much taller than the rest of us. And so she got to stand next to Pleasant and the rest of us lined up in front of her And we took this picture and we said, thank you and told her how much we love the dolls. And I remember her telling us that she wanted us to have something to treasure and that that's why she made them. And we all nodded in reverence. And then the mom scrambled to write down each other's addresses on paper (laughs) so that they could get double prints and we could exchange. I think there was some sending of photos, but if anybody recognizes themselves after seeing the photo and listening in the podcast, I will get you a copy of the photo. Oh so. my goodness. Wow. I am in awe right now. What it, a magical experience with Pleasant. It was, it was so cool because we saw her up on stage, but then she just had the largest, warmest personality and clearly knew how to talk to and engage children and make them feel a part of what was going on. And it was unexpected. So it was not contrived. She was just interacting with us, a group of girls who liked dolls. And she was the person who had made our childhood. Oh my goodness. What a beautiful moment. It was very special. Once in a lifetime type of thing. And that your mom had the camera on her too. Way to go, Jennifer. Seriously. (laughs) And I love, I love the idea of like trying to get the girls addresses so they could have a copy too, like pre cell phone and like easily accessible photos. And wow. Right. We'd have no problem today. Let me text that to you. But this was a mom effort because again, everyone wanted to be included. Right. Definitely. Oh my goodness. That is so special. 
so special. I think that that, honestly, like, I wish there was still an American Girl magazine because that's the type of thing that would get written up in the American Girl magazine. <laughs> like, Well, it's so funny because I listen to your podcast and follow Instagram and I don't know what inspired me to send you the picture specifically based on something someone else had said in a prior podcast, but I had this memory and that's triggered our whole conversation. And wow. I don't know if I didn't think it was such a significant experience till I said, wait a minute, we're probably the only eight or nine girls who were at this event who have this experience in a picture like this. Yeah. I have chills right now. That's so, so impactful. So impactful. And I'm looking at the photo, which we will, of course, post on our Instagram. And it's just people are going to freak out because it's such a 90s time capsule vibe. It is 100%. So Emily (laughs) is in the picture next to me and she has red hair and her mom made her a Kirsten outfit. So she's got like the pink and white jumper on. And then I do not know any of the other girls in the photo. They were just part of the gaggle. Wow. Just brought together by fate. <laughs> fate and oh pleasant. Oh my goodness. I mean, this just looks so beautiful. Everyone looks so, so cute. A couple of the gals have the Felicity caps on, which I don't know. It's just so adorable. And everyone has they, their American girls. They definitely did not go with our outfits, but you could see those hats all over Williamsburg that weekend. And it was kind of like the calling card that that person was also part of the Felicity Club. And so you could wave at these other girls and say, you're one of us. You've got the hat on. And so we were happy to wear those most of the time. Yeah. So incredible. Now, after, or I should say rather not after, but at a different point in your American Girl journey, you had a tea party of your own, but this time focused on Samantha. How was that? That predates Felicity. That was my birthday party in third grade, and it was amazing. And my mom had a dress made for me that had a pinafore over it, not quite as frilly as her party dress, but very festive, which I wore and intended to have one made for her. It was cut too small. And we ordered one of the game packets that Pleasant Company sold where it had various doll related games, paper dolls. We played those. I remember one girl had a boa on. I had these fans made as party favors for everyone. Ah. And we had pedophores and tried to play the games that they talked about in the book. And I know that that dress is still hanging in my childhood bedroom closet. So hopefully one of my nieces will be able to wear it someday. Wow. That's so great that you kept it. That was going to be my next question is what became of it. So took a picture of it today when (laughs) I was also getting the dolls out of archives. Oh my gosh. That's so amazing. I mean, Samantha and Felicity really do just like lend themselves to that tea party atmosphere. It's like they were created for birthday parties. (laughs) They were, and they're so elegant. And one thing I didn't mention, but I'll note is we've talked sometimes in prior podcasts about, you know, the dolls and how we treated them in doll hospitals. And I was a little creative with Samantha's hair over time. (laughs) I think I realized that that may not have been the best approach. And so upon getting Felicity, I was very deliberate and careful with her hair. So I'm showing her now, but she still is very much wearing her original hairstyle. Whereas poor Samantha doesn't necessarily need to be re-wigged, but could stand to use a blowout. (laughs) Yes. I mean, yes, you're a hundred percent right. Her hair still looks like it's in really good condition. She just needs a little, a little primp in style. (laughs) I have to tell you though, when I went to get the dolls out, my mother had stored them in a trash bag in my (gasps) closet and they were just in their (laughs) underdresses. And I felt like it was sacrilegious and I pulled them out and apologized to them as if they were human and then got, you know, brought them back. But I also felt like even though they're mine, they weren't mine to take from my parents' house. I Mm. felt like that's where they belong. Yeah. I probably will return them there for safekeeping (laughs) until my nieces are old enough to treasure them. When was the last time that you saw them? So I had that thought. 
Two answers. The last time I had them out for intentional purposes was when my cousin, who's seven years younger than me, got her first American Girl doll, and we took pictures at Christmas, and I was a senior in high school, and then I think I looked to see where they were about five years ago, Yeah, just because that was when the online phenomenon, women in our age bracket started the resurgence of interest, and I thought, I want to see what condition they're in and how they're doing, and then gently place them back uncovered in my closet. And I'm not sure at what point they were plastic preserved, but they're back out now. Yeah. It's so fun to see an old doll. Like, of course it's kind of like an old friend that, you know, so many memories just come right back to you. So much lighter than I recalled. Oh, Mm, because they were always sturdy to me. But then when Ah. I went to pick Samantha up, she seemed lighter. Mm. Interesting. We're, but we're older and stronger now. We are. And I carry a <laughs> child around all the time now. So that probably <laughs> does something to the uh, equation as well. Right. Oh my God. That's so interesting. Yeah. When I found my Felicity again, I don't think I had seen her in a uh, goodness, like 20 years or so. I don't remember seeing her past like sixth grade. Like it had been quite some time and I was so excited to finally find her. And I remember just thinking like, she's so substantial, like compared to like a Barbie that like, can't even like stand up. Like, it's really amazing to have this doll that just feels like, uh, it's worth that, you know, hundred dollars. Yeah. Definitely. And substantial is a good word. That is where I was saying they have a heft to them that makes them worth the investment. Definitely. And they're timeless. For sure. Yeah. They still look like a doll that, you know, I would want to play with or like that a young child would want to play with even you know today when I'm sure like dolls have changed quite a bit they're a billion dollar idea on the part of Pleasant because they are sturdy but they're still quality they can be played with but um they still have that element of being expensive and like looking like they're high quality so you know they just like they had the sauce when it came to creating them and everything was so thoughtfully made and precise and the details we were talking about Felicity's riding habit and the gold vermeil and the iridescence of the beads that are completely unnecessary on a children's doll outfit and yet are part of this very nicely made product it feels like how the real clothes would feel except just for a doll like it doesn't seem like they cheapened them because they were for a doll definitely and what were some of the other outfits that you had for samantha and felicity i had samantha's christmas outfit and i am of the era where there were three or four different collars with different lace patterns and so mine has the floral pattern versus Mm -hmm. the heart pattern and is more cranberry than bright red and i had her birthday pink and white dress and her play dress that was blue and white with the pinafore i also had the white patent leather shoes that we've talked about I keep saying yes, your (laughs) listeners have heard others talk about, um, I had her nightgown, of course, I had her sailor suit and the kit that went with that. And then for Felicity, I had, I believe I had all of the dresses for Felicity's collection simply because by that point I had done a good job of expressing my interest in American girls. And I think every family member latched on and just started buying an outfit for all of the occasions. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it does make it, it, make it easy for them. (laughs) Yes. And so I always got the outfits and the accessories that went with those, but never got the furniture, the beds, Samantha's brass bed, Uh, um, the most coveted item in the entire collection. Yeah. What are some of the items that you always loved, but never received? (laughs) Definitely Samantha's bed. And then I remember that my uncle talked about building me a replica Felicity bed. Oh, wow. And I was, it it did not come to fruition, but (laughs) I was interested in that. And then I liked Felicity's horse and did not get that. And of 
all things, I now live in a house from the 1770s. And so I am in Felicity's world on a daily basis. Oh my goodness. Wow. So you acquired the ultimate Felicity item, essentially. (laughs) I did not choose it, but I have the wood panel with the curtain for the bedding and everything. Yes. Oh my God. I love that. That Mm -hmm. is incredible. That is so awesome. Honestly. Ah. Now, Mary Catherine, this has just been so incredible to hear all about your experiences with American Girl from saving up for your first doll and having a Samantha tea party birthday to attending the launch event at Colonial Williamsburg for Felicity and just breathing the same air as Valerie and Pleasant. But Thinking through all of these experiences and the ways that you were interacting with AG growing up, what lasting impression did American Girl leave on you? I think I have two answers. I have one that's a childhood answer and one that's more recent. I think in the time that I grew up when young girls may not have been encouraged to immerse themselves in reading and history and ask questions and stay young and be young, these dolls allowed us to do that because they kept our youth magical by playing with them and wanting to learn about them and made us realize that academics could be interesting and fascinating and that the stories of others lived experiences could give us a perspective and an understanding that our sheltered day to day would never show us. And then as an adult in following your podcast, and I listened to a couple others, the dolls of our lives and things like that, it has opened back a world of connecting with people in my age bracket over the dolls But most especially, in spite of Emily being my next door neighbor and her parents still living next to my parents, we did not go to the same high school. So we had kind of fallen out of contact. And knowing I was going to do this podcast allowed me to get back in touch with her to checkpoint some of my memories. And so it shows that it is a way to bring people together and help you remember these magical moments. And so I'm grateful for that too. I love those answers. And we, you know, we just appreciate so much that that you've enjoyed the podcast. And that's what we hope is that this brings up recovered memories for everyone and that you connect to a part inside of yourself that perhaps like you hadn't connected with in a really long time, because that's how we feel about it too. So, you know, I think those were just beautiful answers and we're just so glad that you were willing to walk us through all these wonderful memories. Thanks for giving me this platform to do it. It's awesome. (laughs) Well, to wrap up our interview on a little fun note, Lindsay and I have a couple little (laughs) activities for you. So I'll let Lindsay start with hers. Yeah. So this has been a fun little game that we've been playing for the past few months now. And usually it's a dinner party that we're hosting where you're able to bring two AG characters along with you, but let's have a tea party today. So which two historic characters, which could be secondary characters or the main gals themselves, which two would you be inviting to your tea party? I speculated we may get this question because I noticed (laughs) that you transitioned from playing the trivia game of who is who to this. (laughs) So I am going to go with two secondary characters. I am going to have Cornelia and Miss Mannerly have tea together because I want to see the collision of Miss Mannerly's very prim, proper, pre-revolutionary expectations for the role of women in this deferent preparation of an elegant presentation and tea and curtsying collide with Cornelia's at that time, very progressive 1904 
women's rights and activism. And we know that there were issues with labor movements and obviously they're adopting Nellie and her sisters, how that transition from traditional family molds to broadened family molds and even the growth we saw in that, I guess, 125 years might collide. Wow. I love that answer. Oh my goodness. I mean, and Samantha and Felicity can watch. (laughs) Right. The conversations between those two characters would be so interesting. Like Cornelia was such a trailblazer time. And I really love her character. It's such a strong representation of what change started to look like for women in the early 1900s and placing her against such like a formal, like traditional expected. Exactly. The expectations as a woman in the 1700s, especially. And Felicity came from a family that was largely patriots. I don't think Felicity's grandfather was, if I remember correctly, but her parents were. And Felicity's best friend, Elizabeth, came from a family of loyalists. I believe Miss Manderley was a loyalist, right? Like she's serving tea at the lessons that she had at her house. So having that more traditionalist view, meeting someone who is sharing these new ideas that women should have equal rights to men and what it means to be a woman in society was shifting so quickly in the early 1900s would just be such a fascinating conversation between the two of them. I like how you always talk about if somebody wanted a fan fiction, we've got about 54 topics now. (laughs) Oh my goodness. And, and, and aside from that, it's not just the two of them, I should say, who are at this tea party. It's also you, Mary Catherine attending as well. So you would be the perspective of 125 years post in the next generation. Yeah, exactly. So between the three of you, I, I, I don't know. I think Ms. Menderly would simply pass away. Like she would not be able to handle the conversation. She would have a rough day. Cornelia would be cheering you on. She would be like, all of this was worth it. We'd be there and all white ready to go. And not just because the nightgowns are beautiful, but uh, we'd have our posters and our sashes and probably spill our tea on Miss Mannerly. This was such a a thought provoking answer. I'm so glad that we, um, that you came up with this because we haven't really had anybody look at it this way just yet. So I'm glad we're talking about it. Moving into a little bit more of a frivolous game. I love to ask about favorite celebrities and who they would have for dolls. So you let us know that Natalie Portman is one of your favorite celebrities. You you kind of like look like her a little bit. I feel like at least on this told yeah. that before. <laughs> Are you saying that because I have headphones on and look like Princess Leia right now? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it, it could be that. It could be that. I but after when I read that and then we hopped on the call, I was like, oh, she kind of like resembles Natalie Portman a little bit. But yeah. you know, perhaps that would inform which doll she has because you know she is like a brown haired brown eyed gal kind of like Samantha but who do you think she would have and she's a similarly aged peer so I'm gonna limit it to the four that I consider you know the original Mm -hmm. I guess my question back is who do I think childhood Natalie or who do I think adult Natalie would have? Because I think the answer might be different. She just seems so aware and you know, she's a vegan. She doesn't wear leather. She went to Harvard. She studied psychology and then she's this brilliant actress. So I think she might like the simplistic life of Kirsten as far as finding her own place and carving out a path that didn't exist. She's Jewish. She has a background from her family immigrating. So she's got that perspective like Kirsten and more primitive designs that Kirsten wore into her fashion consciousness, perhaps. And then I also see aspects of Molly in her, but maybe that's more an analysis of her personality than which doll she would have. I I mean, I think that that's a very well thought out answer. I think that Kirsten 
appeals to anybody who sort of is almost like Kirsten is the girl that's like not on social media or like if she is on social media she's like hard to find like and she's doing what she's gonna do and she doesn't need like recognition for it because she feels like very secure in it and so I think mm-hmm. that all those things sort of align with what you were talking about as characteristics of Natalie so to me that sounds like a great fit and do you think that Natalie would go a different route perhaps as a child for who she'd pick? Because we grew up in the same era, I can see lots of girls my age liking the frilliness of Samantha less about the story and more about the clothes (laughs) and that they would have been the most fun of the three options for girls our age to wear and dress in in 1989 or 1990. I think that makes sense too. I mean, that's why I was drawn to Samantha. I think that's why a lot of people were, and you know, we all have that like side to ourselves. That's why I think American girl dolls are kind of like astrology. You have like a sun, moon and rising. So, you know, I think that both can be true. And I think those are both great answers. I love that. I, Laura, I almost want to do this for future episodes to do an astrology segment <laughs> of who your sun, moon well, and wanted, rising would be. <laughs> I wanted to ask you all what your signs were, but then I was like, well, I guess they can cut this if they need to as well. I was just curious. <laughs> yeah. Laura and we're, I are both Leos. Yeah. Okay. I'm a Libra. Oh, okay. I'm a Libra rising, but yeah, that's, that is something maybe we should incorporate because a lot of our, <laughs> a lot of our guests, like I've, I don't think I've ever like brought it up to a guest with like American girl dolls and signs and had them be like, Oh, I'm not into that. But I wonder like too, if you consider the doll signs based on their birthdays, although they yeah. all mostly have spring birthdays because we needed a spring story. So right. 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 A lot that of that kind a- of negates Aries. that analysis. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of Aries and Taurus gals, maybe a few Gemini's. (laughs) Well, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for joining us today. Like this has been such a unique episode and hearing your perspective has been just such a joy. Thank you all for having me. And do you want to shout out where people could find you after this? Sure. So lest anyone thinks that I am using profanity on the podcast, (laughs) my maiden name was Funk, F-U-N-K, which crackles over loudspeakers in restaurants. And my Instagram is at MC Funk Yo. Great Instagram name. Oh, thank you so much, Mary Catherine. And thank you everybody for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to American Girl Women. For more AG Women content, follow us on IG at American Girl Women or send us your American Girl stories via AmericanGirlWomen at gmail.com. We might just read them on the pod. If you like this podcast, tell your friends and rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts.